We are talking about prayer these days at New Life, and obviously the Buckeyes need a lot of prayer. (laughs) This week, I came across some prayers that were written out to God by some children, and uh, some of them are kind of cute. I want to share them with you. Amanda wrote, Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there now. A little girl named Joyce wrote, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I asked for was a puppy. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. (laughs) Allison wrote, God, I read the Bible. What does begat mean? Nobody will tell me. There's probably a reason for that. Uh, I like this one. Dennis wrote, "Uh, Dear God, my grandpa says you were around when he was a little boy. How far back do you go? Another little girl wrote, Dear God, do you draw the lines around the countries? And if you don't, who does? But this one, Peter wrote, Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different summer camp this year. <laughs> little Norma wrote, Dear God, did you mean for giraffes to look like that or was it an accident? <laughs> and then this one from a little girl named Carol, Dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday night. That was really cool. And that's really sweet, isn't it? <laughs> well, the prayers of children are uh, so innocent and so cute. Just They just kind of put it out there, don't they? don't they? Whatever's on their mind comes out. Well, this morning, I would like us to think uh, for the next few moments, not about childlike praying, which certainly has its place, but rather about the subject of grown-up prayer. What kind of prayers would constitute mature, grown-up praying? Think about that for a few moments. Last week we explored together a very grown-up prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And we saw that it is both simple and deep. It's so simple that children can learn to pray it, as many of us did growing up. And so deep that you could pray the Lord's Prayer on different levels for the rest of your life and still not have plumbed the depths of what's in there. Today I'd like us to look at some of the prayers of Paul, Paul the Apostle. Paul, as you know, wrote a lot of the New Testament and he had a habit uh, when he wrote to people of including the prayers that he was praying for them right in those letters. And I'm glad he did. And we're going to learn a few things today about mature praying, and in particular, mature praying for other people, mature intercessory prayer. You can take the study guide, if you'd like, out of your worship folder, and you can follow along with us, and your Bibles as well. We'll be going to a lot of different places this morning. Before we dive into Paul's prayers, let me make several just kind of general overarching observations about the prayers of Paul that are recorded in the New Testament. First, let me just remind us, these are the prayers of an extremely mature believer. Paul, as you know, was an apostle. He was a church planter, a pastor. As I said, he was a New Testament author. And so as we walk through these prayers, if if you're thinking, man, I'm not there yet, uh, probably none of us are. There's room for all of us to grow in this area. These are very mature prayers. They are offered on behalf of entire congregations. Paul would pray for this church and then for this church and this church. But I believe these are also prayers that can be prayed for individual believers as well. To me, they appear more like passionate outbursts than neatly outlined templates for praying. It's like it's just kind of bursts forth out of him. 
And they are responses to what he had heard about each of these particular churches. So we know that Paul had eyes and ears everywhere, and people would report back to him what was going on in this church and this church and this church, and then he would pray for them in response to what he had heard. They're very spiritual prayers. You'll notice that as we walk through them. Intensely spiritual. And they're usually calling out for God to increase the faith or hope or love in those churches, whatever he felt was at a deficit at that time. I love this. They are always drenched in gospel truth. We're going to see that again and again. The structure of these prayers is more flowing like a river than linear. Often they are cascading like a waterfall. He he just starts, I'm praying for this, and then this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and it just kind of pours out of his mouth. And all of them have God's glory and God's pleasure as their, their deepest motive and their ultimate end. So we're going to look together at four or five of Paul's prayers with a view towards learning to pray for other people in a, in a mature, grown-up kind of way. Okay? So the first one that we're going to look at is one of my favorites. It's found in Philippians chapter 1. And uh, I'd like you to read this aloud, this prayer aloud together with me. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Okay, so this prayer is a few levels up from God be with Cousin Eddie today. It's a little bit higher than that. There's some height here, there's some depth here. Remember last week we talked about the upper tier petitions of the Lord's Prayer? Does anybody remember that? I know it was seven days ago. But um, I think we could say that just like Jesus... Paul often draws us up into the upper tier in our prayers. Themes like the righteousness of God and God's will and the glory of God are flowing naturally through the prayers of Paul. And as I said last week, thank God for the upper tier petitions that we find in the Bible because they draw us up, they lift us up to a higher place. They remind us of what God is really after in this world. So thank God for that. What do we see in this first prayer that Paul prayed for the believers there in Philippi? There's a lot here. But the first petition, the overarching petition is this. I pray that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. We could call this a prayer for an overflowing and discerning love. That's what Paul was praying for. Their love was deficient. And so he prayed for it. He prays for the believers in that church to have an overflowing love. And that's a good thing to pray for, right? God, put your love in their hearts that it might arise within them and spill out, splash out onto other people, the love of God. But notice that he prays for their growing love to be informed and guided by knowledge and discernment so that they would only embrace the most excellent things, not just anything that happened to come along. He prays this request for them with a view towards them becoming a pure, spotless bride for Jesus Christ when he returns, full of the spiritual fruit that Christ wants to produce in them. And of course, as he ends his prayer, it's all for the ultimate glory and praise 
of God. You see all that? That is a mature prayer. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? I got to thinking about how we could pray this prayer for other people. Maybe kind of a simplified fashion. It might come out something like this. Father, I'm praying for so-and-so today. Produce in them an increasing love for the most excellent things for your glory. That's a way we could pray that prayer. Increase in them your love for the most excellent things for your glory. There are likely some people in your life who need you to pray this for them. Who might that be? What, what kinds of people? Well, how about people that you know who are just unloving? You know the type? Angry, bitter people. People who have alienated everybody else in their life because they just don't want to be around them anymore. You know anybody like that? You could start to pray this prayer for them. God, fill them with your overflowing love. That would be a mature thing for us to do, to pray for these folks rather than just being angry at them or planning their demise. Pray for them. Or think about people you know who are loving to some degree, but they're loving the wrong things. They're not embracing the things that are excellent, and as a result, they're not pure and blameless before the Lord, not filled with the fruit of righteousness. Anybody come to mind? Maybe you even try to talk to them, but to no avail. I would say, pray for them. Take this prayer and begin praying this mature prayer for those people. See what God does. God loves to answer these biblical prayers. I do believe that. So, this first prayer of Paul is a prayer for God to produce in the hearts of his people a love that is overflowing and yet discerning so that they might embrace the best things and live their lives here and now for the glory of God and ultimately not be ashamed when they see Jesus face to face when he comes back. All right, let's look at another of Paul's prayers. And this one is for the believers in another church in a city called Colossae. It's found in Colossians 1.9. And this one's kind of long, so let me read it for us. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Here it is. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. You might want to underline that phrase. Filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You'll know God more deeply. And may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. That's a prayer. That's a mature prayer. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Now, do you remember that I said that Paul's prayers are soaked in gospel truth? You see that in this prayer? Notice that in verses 9 through 11, we see Paul's petitions, the things he's asking God for, Then in verses 12 through 14, what we see are the the gospel truths that surround and motivate these petitions. Do you see them? 
He qualified us to share in the inheritance. He delivered us from the dominion of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, redeemed us, forgave us. Those are gospel truths. And this is gospel-prompted praying. I believe that's what mature praying is. Praying that is motivated and generated and animated by an ever-increasing understanding of God's plan for people in the gospel. So what's the primary petition in this prayer? That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. We could call it a consuming knowledge of God's will. What God wants, His desires. Do do you feel the, the, the upper tieredness of this prayer? Do you hear, Thy will be done? God, fill them with the knowledge of Your will. Thy will be done. They're linked. Paul prays for the people in this church to be filled, literally consumed, by a clear understanding of what God wants, what God desires, what God wishes. He prays for this with the aim that their daily conduct and choices would align with the Lord's high calling on their lives, would please Him by bearing fruit, would know Him more deeply, would endure difficult circumstances with joy because of His strength in them, and be grateful for His saving work in their lives. So I see several things. Fruitfulness, intimacy, endurance, and gratefulness. These are the fruit of a gospel-saturated life. So how might we pray the essence of this prayer for people that we know? We could pray it like this. Father, I'm praying for so-and-so right now. Cause them to be consumed with what you want so that their life might be pleasing to you. Let them be filled up and consumed with what you want, God, so that the way they live their life might be pleasing to you. So who could you be praying this prayer for? What kind of people? Well, you pray it for someone who you know who doesn't know what God wants for them or who doesn't want to know what God wants for them or who knows what God wants for them, but just doesn't want to do it. They're not yet filled with a consuming desire for God's will to be done. Is there anybody like that in your life, in your family, in your workplace? I have some people I'm praying for who could be described in that way. Some of them are people in this church. They know the will of God for their situation. They know what God wants. They just don't want to do it. Instead of being filled with the knowledge of His will, their hearts are filled with fear and worry and anxiety and doubt. Some of them just think they know better than God does what's good for them. And so they're proceeding down the path of doing their will, not God's. So I'm praying this prayer for them, trusting God to work in a deep, deep way in their hearts. Well, Paul was a mature man, and he prayed mature prayers. He prayed for God to produce in his people an overflowing love that would be guided by discernment. And here in this prayer, he prayed for God to fill them with a consuming desire to know and do his will. And he also prayed for all the good things that would flow out of that mindset. Well, here's another of Paul's written out prayers. And by the way, do you ever write out your prayers? You ever do that? Just write out your prayer to God for the day? I I would urge you to do that. Paul did it. It's one of the reasons we um, make these New Life journals available in our bookstore, so you have a place to 
to just write down what your prayers are for the day so you can have a recorded history of your ongoing dialogue with the Lord. Lord, here's what I'm praying about today. Well, this next prayer was offered up to God on behalf of the Christians in the church in Ephesus. That's a great prayer. Ephesians 1, verse 16. Yeah, why don't you read this one with me again out loud. Ephesians 1, 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here it is. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Again, a mature prayer, also a beautiful and glorious prayer. And it's primarily a prayer for spiritual enlightenment, isn't it? That the eyes of your hearts be enlightened. Paul prays for that church to receive from God a spirit, probably not an angel, not a spirit being, but an attitude, a a mindset of wisdom and revelation to know God more deeply through spiritual enlightenment. Open the eyes of their heart. Paul knew that when someone, when God opens someone's eyes like that, that they get it. They get it at a deep level. The hope they've been called to, the riches of God's inheritance, and His power. I like to pray a simplified form of this prayer like this. Father, I'm praying for this person right now. Open their eyes to all that you have done for them in Christ. Open their eyes, God. Open their eyes. They're not seeing it. Open their eyes to all that you have done for them in Jesus Christ. So who could you be praying this prayer for? This prayer for spiritual enlightenment. Well, that's easy. People in your life who aren't seeing things clearly. People who aren't yet comprehending the truth of their identity in Christ, who He really is and who they really are in Him, all that He's done for them. And what truly awaits them both in this life and beyond this life. You know, we can get blinded sometimes, can't we? So that we're not seeing clearly. Some people are blinded by ignorance. Some people are blinded by pride. Some people are just, they're new believers and they haven't been taught yet all the riches that they have in Christ. Some people are just myopic. They're all just focused on their own problems and difficulties. Can't see much beyond that. Some people are disillusioned with God and with church because they've been hurt or wronged or disappointed or disillusioned with church. Maybe they've had hurtful church experiences and because of that, they're not seeing all the things God wants them to see. Maybe they're mad at God. Like a guy I spoke with recently who said, I've got issues with God because my life just hasn't really turned out like I thought that it would as a Christian. I thought it was supposed to be like this and it's been more like this and what's up with that, God? It's having a a blinding effect on him. Many things can blind us. And when that has happened, we need other people praying for us. 
these kinds of prayers, that God would give us the gift of opening our eyes, spiritual enlightenment. He's the one who's got to do this, right? Have you ever tried to open someone's eyes for them? It doesn't really work. This is a work of God, and he loves to do this. And just this week in our small group, a lady in our group shared with us that last Sunday, God opened her eyes to something. She showed us her sermon notes, and she had written, Aha, next to one of the points. And she said, I had an aha moment last Sunday where God showed me something about me and about him that I hadn't seen before. She was grateful that God had that mercy on her and opened her eyes to something. How many of you have ever had that, an aha moment? It's an awakening where God showed you something, and really from that point on, you thought about life differently or you lived your life differently. Can I see your hands? An awakening moment, many, many, many of us. Thank God for that, that he does that. You should know that someone was probably praying for you. You may not know to this day who that was, but someone was likely praying, God, open their eyes. Give them an awakening, an enlightenment, that they might see all that you've done for them in Christ. Well, a little later on in this same letter to the Ephesians, Paul prayed a second prayer. So they got doubly prayed for by Paul. This one's found in chapter 3 in verse 14. Look at this one. Let me read it for you. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Did you know that is a posture for prayer? Getting down on your knees. Paul did it. It's not the only posture, but it's certainly one of humility. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that, here it is, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I encourage you to underline that phrase. We'll come back to it. So that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, that's a mature prayer. Back in Bible college, I actually listened to a five-part series on this one prayer, five sermons on this, this one prayer. Thank you, John MacArthur. It's so rich that uh, it wouldn't be hard to do that. But I won't do that. But do notice several key phrases. Notice he prays that God would do something according to the riches of his glory. That's upper tier stuff, isn't it? It tells us that God has a glorious treasure trove of spiritual wealth that he desires to impart to his children. He prays, it says, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's the primary petition in this prayer. It's a prayer for inner strength. Inner strength. Paul prayed for that church that they would have inner spiritual strength. It's not a prayer for increased physical strength, is it? Not to be able to lift more weights or run more miles. This is a prayer for spiritual strength. And what Paul's prayer here implies is that inner Spiritual strength is what people need for three very important things to happen in their life. Number one, strength is needed to live in such a way for Christ to feel at home in their hearts. 
That's what it means to settle down and feel at home in their hearts. Strength is needed to be able to comprehend how much Christ loves them. We'll come back to that in a minute. And strength is needed so that the church of Jesus will ultimately be filled up with everything that God is, the fullness of God. Now notice, verse 18, he prays that they might have strength to comprehend. That's curious to me. We think of, you know, I need strength to make it through this hardship. And we do. But here he's praying for strength to comprehend, strength to grasp. Grasp what? The love of Christ. How high it is, how deep it is, how wide and broad it is. You need strength to grasp how much Jesus loves you. That's what he was praying for. It's like a guy I was talking with just recently who was struggling with, we'll call it a poor self-image or low self-esteem. And I was talking with him and I said, you know what the Bible says about you? The Bible says that before, since you're a believer, before God ever created the world, He chose you. I can't explain that. But it says before the foundation of the world, God chose you. He looked down the corridors of time and He saw you and He said, I want that guy. He's mine. And He set His love on you before He ever made the world. And then when you came into being, he orchestrated events so that you could hear the gospel message and then he gave you the faith to believe it. Do not ever doubt the love of Jesus Christ for you. It's amazing. It takes strength to comprehend and grasp and accept and embrace the love of Jesus Christ for us. It's otherworldly. It's foreign. It's incredible. It's beautiful. We need power to comprehend it. This is not puny stuff that Paul was praying for here. This is huge, expansive, upper-tier, mature praying, isn't it? We can pray for God to grant His people the gift of inner strength. You could pray it like this. Father, I'm praying for this person. Through Your Holy Spirit, grant them the spiritual fortitude they need to live in light of Your great love for them. To live in light of Your great love for them. Not to live in light of what their parents said to them growing up. Not to live in light of what their peers are saying about them now. No. To live in light of your great love for them. If you get that, that'll change the way you live. To live in light of that. I think you can pray this prayer for any Christian. But especially for those who don't seem to really deeply know Christ's love. We have here in this church a ministry, a a very special ministry called our Inner Healing Prayer Ministry. It's a wonderful ministry, and it's also, it can be quite intense. If you or someone you know is struggling with with issues, with, with something that just dogs your steps, that's plagued you for years, chronic kind of things that you just can't seem to break free from, things that seem deeply rooted in your life, in your past, perhaps in your upbringing. And if you or that other person desires freedom from that, I would urge you to call the church office and set up an appointment with the Inner Healing Prayer Ministry. You say, well, what will happen? Well, what will happen is that you'll come and you'll meet with some mature, 
trained believers in a very private place, and they will ask you some questions about your life and about your past, and they'll listen to your responses, and they will begin to pray over you and pray around you in such a way that the things deep within you that need to be surfaced and get exposed get exposed. They get, they get brought out. And the love of Christ for you will be applied to those deep places in your heart through those prayers. I've talked with a number of people who've experienced breakthroughs after being prayed for by our inner healing prayer ministry team. Many men. have. I have a pastor friend who went through it. He said, Steve, my life changed when I came out of that room after I'd been prayed for by that team. Things got brought to the service and dealt with. I got freed up from stuff. I didn't even know it was in my heart. He said, I'm living a different sort of life now. Thank God for that team. And thank God for these kinds of Ephesians 3 prayers, which are the kinds of prayers that they pray over the people. Next weekend here begins a week of prayer and fasting. And I've been asking you to to seek the Lord for what he might be calling you to do, what he might be calling you to give up so that you can pray in a sacrificial way. And what he might want you to be praying for that's already in in his heart to do. And my prayer for you is along these lines, that all of us will go deeper with God, that we'll experience His love for us in ways that will blow us away. God, give Your people here spiritual strength to comprehend how long and high and wide and deep is Your love for them. Fill them with Yourself in all of Your fullness. In just a few weeks, uh, you'll begin to see up here a team of people we're calling our celebration prayer partners they'll come up after the sermon each week and they'll be here waiting to pray with you they've been trained and equipped and they will pray for any and all who need spiritual strength who need spiritual enlightenment who need their eyes open to the truth who need christ's love applied to particular areas of their lives we believe this is something god is doing in this church right now and i'm excited to see how the lord's going to move through that new ministry and what prayers he's going to answer. So, what does mature praying for God's people look like? Well, the Lord's Prayer and the prayers of Paul give us some clues, don't they? These kinds of prayers are focused on God's will, His desires, His wishes. They plead for spiritual depth and growth in God's people. They call out for increased faith and hope and love in the community of believers within individual Christians. They plead for God to fill His people up with Himself, and they have as their ultimate aim the pleasure and the glory of God. Well, there's one more prayer of Paul I'd like us to look at briefly. It's not a prayer for Christians, though. It's a prayer by Christians for people who are not yet Christians, not yet believers, who are still outside of the covenant of grace. Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Mature praying now for unbelievers. Again, from the heart of Paul, here's what he wrote. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, he's talking about his countrymen, is that they may be saved. Saved. 
You see, not only are we called to pray for each other here in the family of God, but God calls us also to pray for those who are not yet in the family, whose hearts have not yet been captured by the gospel of Christ. They're not yet believers in Jesus Christ. They're not yet what the Bible calls saved. I want to remind you of this truth which remains contained in the Scriptures, that without Jesus Christ as their supreme treasure, lost people are separated from their Creator in this life and will stand before Him one day having only their own righteousness to show for themselves and it will be found to be severely lacking. Without the righteousness of Jesus to cloak and cover them, They will be unfit for dwelling with a holy God. Their sins will be rightly judged. And separation from God forever awaits them. That's the sobering reality that the Bible makes very plain. But it doesn't have to be that way for them. It doesn't. You know, one mark of a maturing church is that we'll have an increasing desire for the gospel to make its way all the way into the hearts of unbelieving people that we love and that we know who are in our worlds so that they can be saved, Paul said. Saved. Saved from their sin. Saved from the righteous wrath of a holy God against their sin. Rescued from spiritual death. Redeemed for God and given eternal life. This was Paul's deep, heartfelt desire for the Jewish people, his countrymen. And that desire in his heart came pouring out of his lips in prayer. Can you hear it? God, save my people. Save them, God. Bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. This was a deep, gripping desire in Paul's heart. How deep was it? Listen to his words in Romans 9, a chapter before. He wrote this, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now that is passion for lost people. God, if it takes me going to hell for them to be saved, then I'm ready for that. Do it. I'm not there. Are you? Probably none of us are there. But we can pray for the Lord to stir us up and stoke the fire of our passion for our lost loved ones to be saved, to come to Christ. We can pray for the lost people that we love who don't know Him yet, sons and daughters, dads and moms, grandparents, aunts and uncles, friends, longtime friends, co-workers, teammates. We can pray for them to be saved so that their lives might magnify the glory of His grace that's been shown to them in the gospel. And in a few moments, we're going to do just that. We're going to pray collectively as a church for our unsaved loved ones. But first, I'm curious. I've been amazed to to see the response in the last few services. How many of you have seen a loved one or a friend a family friend come to faith in Christ in the last five years. In the last five years. Can I see your hands? That's truly amazing, isn't it? Praise God for that. God, God is still saving people. He is. Was someone praying for them? 
Were you praying for them? I can't fully explain this, but God figures in our prayers into the equation of his working in the lives of our unsaved loved ones. Did you know that? I can't sketch it out for you in, in an equation. It, it baffles my mind. But somehow, some way, God figures in our prayers to his work in the lives of people. And he calls us to pray for them. If that weren't true, Paul wouldn't have written these words in 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. He wouldn't have written these words, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. See, Paul believed that his prayers were factored in by God, figured into God's working in the lives of his unsaved friends and loved ones. I'm telling you, God can save anybody. If he can save my atheist, tennis-playing, high school buddy, who grew up in a rich family with a tennis court in his backyard, valedictorian, 4.0 student, good-looking guy, athletic, didn't need God, reconnected with him a couple years ago on Facebook. He's like, Steve, I got saved, man. (laughs) God brought me to my knees. He said, I'm a missionary for Jesus in Kenya. Wild horses can't hold me back from serving Jesus with the rest of my life. If God can save him, he can save anybody. No one is outside the reach of God's grace. Not your dad or mom who's not saved yet. Not your sibling that you've been praying for for 20 years, 30 years maybe. God can do it. God can do it. Thank you, Apostle Paul, for guiding us into mature praying for God's people and also for those who have not yet believed the gospel and become saved. I want us to do this this morning. We've left some time. I want us to take the next few moments and pray for the people in our lives that we're praying for to come to know Jesus Christ. How many of you have an unsaved, unbelieving loved one, parent, sibling, friend, someone you've been praying for? Okay. Most all of us. These next few moments, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and come and kneel or stand and plead with God, beseech Him to reach them before it's too late. And then when you're done praying for your loved one, lean over to the person who's praying next to you and ask them, who is it that you're praying for? And and join them in praying for their loved one. Lord, you are not willing that any should perish, you said, but that all should come to repentance. Hear the prayers of the body of new life these next few moments as we come to you humbly, Lord, asking you to save our loved ones. Hear our prayers.